0: her every day living for messy action. This is the lifestyle leadership podcast for women who want to be the best version of themselves while making an impact and who are willing to take messy and perfect action to get there. I'm Jordan and I'm Dr. Tay and we are here to guide and empower you to lead yourself every day. Let's dive into today's episode. All right, y'all, we are back for another episode, and today we are going to talk about all things sleep. We have Jen Casey on. She is a sleep coach, and she also, you'll hear a little bit of her story, but she originally was an early intervention therapist and then saw this need as well as, you know, wanted some flexibility being a mom and being able to work from home.
1: And I will say too that this is a very refreshing perspective. It's a refreshing conversation. I know that the words like sleep training and all of that can sometimes boil some emotions within mamas, especially. So just stay tuned, stay open. She gives really good perspectives and tips, and then also like really level sets expectation for reality. So we hope you guys enjoy this. We're so grateful that Jen gave us some of her time and insights to the podcast. So stay tuned.
0: Just as a reminder, anything shared on our episodes are not clinical advice. Please talk to a qualified mental health professional if you are needing more support. All right, y'all, we are back for another episode and so excited. We are going to dive in to sleep today. Sleep for your little ones. We'll also talk about like the importance of sleep as a mother as well. So we have the amazing guest on who's going to share all her knowledge, Jensene Casey, or she goes by Jen. Welcome, Jen. We are so excited to have you here today.
2: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, well, let's dive in. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and also how you started
2: being a sleep coach? Sure. Um. So I knew that I wanted to have children very young. I went to college and I got a degree in early childhood with a focus on special education because I wanted to work with children. I loved children and I knew that was just kind of the path that I wanted to take. So once I graduated, I felt... In school, there wasn't really like children come in and you teach them these things that they're supposed to be taught and then they leave. And there wasn't anything like deeper, like there were children that couldn't really get it, but they didn't have lunch. They were struggling with other things at home. So I felt like I couldn't get a really good grasp of them. So then I decided that I wanted to switch into early intervention where I could see the family unit as a whole and really get to see... support the family needed so that the child could thrive and the family could thrive as a whole so in my years in early intervention i loved it like children under three are are my people now that my oldest son is almost five i'm kind of like i don't know what to do with you (laughs) but i know three and under so during those visits it would be kind of surface level like we want our child to crawl we want them to use more language But then we would really get into, why do you want that? How is that going to impact your family life if your child can talk and is frustrated a little bit less? And then we would dive even deeper into like, okay, so what are the foundational things that we have to have in order for them to be able to gain these skills? And sleep was one of those things. I was finding time and time again that children just weren't sleeping. Parents were trying to get by with a couple hours pieced together a night. Their child was up multiple times. And you don't have the energy to be able to learn a new skill, to develop a new skill, to even want to try a new skill if you're just trying to keep yourself awake all day. And the parents, it was the same thing. We would give these strategies and kind of let them know what to work on for the coming week, but they were just in survival mode of just, I, I'm just trying to get through the day, let alone do all of these additional things to help my child learn and develop. So once we started focusing on the sleep, everything else just kind of started falling into place. So once I was pregnant with my second son and I knew I wanted some more flexibility to be able to stay home with them, I looked into, like, I Googled early intervention from home and a sleep consultant came up. So I emailed her. I said, what do you do? What What is this? Because I had never heard of a sleep consultant. I had no idea it was a profession. Um, and she just kind of explained what she did and how she got the certification. And it was like two months later, I had signed up and here we are. Here we are. <laughs>
0: I love that. Awesome.
1: So were you finding that sleep was a large cause of any families that would seek out early intervention support?
2: Probably about 40% of the time, I would say the families, their underlying things were around sleep. And that could be like schedule of sleep Mm -hmm. where I would make appointments to come see these families and they would say, oh, you can come anytime. I'd say, well, what time do they nap? They say, no, we'll move the naps around. So that would kind of give me an indication of, okay, maybe that's something that we need to look into. If naps are different every single day or they are nine months old and not napping, that's definitely something that, you know, we need to take a closer look at. So it was, it was a larger amount of families than I would have initially assumed that were having sleep troubles.
0: Yeah. And I do think we want to be careful because we don't know like cause and effect with developmental delays and with sleep. You know, we do Mm -hmm. often see that kids with developmental delays, particularly, I mean, at least in my line of work with autism, like time and time again, I'm hearing really dysregulated sleep patterns. But it's hard to know, you know, that Mm -hmm. it's like a chicken and egg thing. But often we do see these like sleep difficulties co-occur and it makes sense. Like kids learning how to sit for the first time or talk for the first time, that takes a lot of energy. And we don't often think about this. I think as parents, it's like, oh, it's just these milestones, the things they hit. Think about like milestones in your life or something you're working towards. Like it takes so much more energy and intentionality to hit those things. That same like process in terms of energy wise, obviously babies and toddlers like don't have like the cognitive capacity we do, but in terms of energy wise, it takes the same amount of energy. And so they need restful sleep in order to recharge their batteries. Just like we do as adults.
1: Exactly. In the brain, like Taylor and I always laugh because we just geek out over like the brain. I'm reading this (laughs) about the brain and I didn't, I was having a ton of trouble sleeping a few months ago. My son, my second, he would sleep well ish at night, but he for like five months straight up wouldn't nap during the day. I mean, straight up would be exhausted. Mm. It was so hard. And I read in this book, like, there are special hormones and neurochemicals question mark there are, <laughs> <maybe>? neurotransmitters <laughs> there you go <laughs> that are released only when you sleep yeah and there's like in the different stages of sleep and so i realized well why am i so anxious and crabby well i'm not getting those neurotransmitters right. you know and it's the same thing for our children especially with those pivotal and critical early years
2: yes and it it can seem like surface level oh they're not they're not upset they're not crying all afternoon yeah they're not you know things like that but sleep has so many other benefits of you know okay. that's when you really build your attention and memory that's when you make lasting you know those those lasting pathways so it's not just about kind of like are they okay and not crying there, there's a lot more that goes into sleep and I think I mean even I I'm not reading a book about the brain so I know like surface level, you know, about the sleep things, but there's so much more. The brain is so much more complicated it than is. I can even like pretend to understand. So yeah, knowing that there is more and sleep has a different function rather right. than just- Yeah, tired.
1: So a lot of moms, I mean, like, how are you tired? Like, that's just (laughs) like a lot of moms are tired. A lot of babies don't sleep. And then after my son started to sleep, my first one, then we have the bedtime, you know, tantrum struggles. So what is like normal ish? And then what are like the signs where it's like, hey, you may be able to benefit from like some additional support?
2: Yes. It would really be, I mean, children are are all different, all complex, all grow and develop at different times. So, for example, my almost five-year-old, he does he still come out of his bed? Yes. Does he still like, try to push me at bedtime? Yes, we have a consistent routine. Like we do all of the things, so I know this is just him mm-hmm. being a child. If you're ever feeling like this just isn't working. That's when you want to reach out and seek some help. If bedtime is really frustrating. It's a time that you dread every single day. If you're and it's ending in tears for you, it's ending in tears for your child, that's that's not fun. You know, you want to kind of use that bedtime as a wind down and as an enjoyable, like I love to have in my bed at the end of the day. And your child may not feel that same way, but you don't want it to be like a knockdown, drag out fight for them to be able to sleep in their bed. So if you're ever feeling like, I'm just too exhausted to function, they are seeming too exhausted to function. That's when you may want to look into something else or someone else to help support you. And what age would you say like that
0: can typically start at someone seeking support or like knowing that it's not typical or that they're just completely exhausted?
2: I wouldn't, I mean, it can really happen at any time. I've had families reach out to me with two week olds, with five week olds. Um, and there is no sleep training. I want to be like very clear about that. There is no sleep training or anything that you can do with a newborn. Um, mm-hmm. But sometimes just having that support of knowing, having someone say like, this is okay. Mm-hmm. This is what newborns do this, you know, here are some strategies that we can try, but you're doing everything right. You are the perfect parent for this baby. You know, so I think sometimes in my new warm packages, yes, we're working on transitioning from a swaddle and being able to sleep for stretches in the bassinet at night, but it's really just that reassurance piece. Sometimes it's nice to have someone to bounce things off of because Children are weird and they do, yeah, your, they
0: do weird things. I literally uh, say this all the time. I usually <laughs> say toddlers are weird because that's more the age range I work that's, with. But like, same thing. Parents will come to me and be like, what's wrong with my kid? And I'm like, nothing. Toddlers are just really weird, you know? They just and lick
2: sometimes- the floor for fun. And that's yeah. part of it. <laughs>
1: exactly. It's so refreshing to hear you say that because one of the things Taylor and I kind of like, we talked a little bit before the show, you know, for any moms out there who feel defeated in that newborn stage, like I'm, I, it's refreshing to hear you say that because sometimes we're like, well, by four weeks old, your baby should be sleeping through the night. And I'm like, that is not realistic pressure to put on parents. But the flip side of that is there were so many strategies to your point that I had no clue. I didn't even own a swaddle with my first. I thought he was having seizures with the Morrow reflex. Oh, and I was on God. the phone with the hospital.
2: Yes. So. Yes. It's <laughs> really like Jordan. <laughs> I would have been too, but babies, <laughs> yes. like, they don't come with a manual. So I have families send me videos. And even this morning I got a video of a little boy and he's eight weeks old. And they, he was like rubbing his face in his sleep. And his mom was saying like, should he be doing that? Should I be holding his arms down? Why why is he doing that? And I'm saying, it just looks like he's still soothing. He's not crying. He's not upset. But sometimes these, these things like look strange. They're not something that we would do to fall asleep. So it's hard to understand why a baby would be doing that to fall asleep. Um, But they're, everything is new. And they're just trying to figure out like what feels good. What doesn't feel good. What helps me get to sleep. So those babies that sleep to the night of four weeks are always best friends with the babies that like don't sleep in the night until they're two somehow they just find each other so it's really hard not to compare yeah to your friends to your neighbors to your sister even your own children yeah. I have three and it's hard for me not to compare like oh, my oldest did this and why is my youngest now not doing that yeah so it's really it's really difficult
0: Yeah. And I think the thing to keep in mind too, is I laugh that Jordan, of course, called, you know, and checked on that, but that's the thing. Parents have a continuum themselves of how much knowledge they're going into it with. Right. I have a friend who is getting ready to deliver in a couple months and she's never changed a diaper. Right. But she never babysat as a kid. But then you also have People like Jen and I, who literally we dedicate (laughs) our lives to like the littlest humans, you know, and so there's varying levels, there's also varying levels of anxiety in terms of parents temperament, and how much they can handle and how much distress like, you know, for Jordan, that probably was stressful knowing that she had a source to be able to go to, which is what Jen is describing, that if you're feeling really anxious about this and constantly on edge, you know, at least having some of those touch points and reassurance can be really, really helpful. For other parents, they're like, I can read a book. I've got this. And that that's great, too. And then I also think there's different levels of Sleep for parents themselves or different levels too of ab- ability to handle different sensory inputs and regulate themselves. Of again, how much you can handle. You know, some moms, their kid isn't sleeping through the night and yeah, they're exhausted, but they're like, you know what? They're managing. Okay. Yeah. Versus others are literally like, it's like, I have to do everything in my power to get sleep or like, I literally right.
2: think I'm not going to survive. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like taking into account which, which bucket do I fall in? Am I the one that I am the one that cannot function on little sleep? So that was a big priority for me. I knew, okay, I'm going to do all of the things to be able to get my children to sleep because I can't be the parent that I want to be or the wife that I want to be or, Mm -hmm. you know, anything without that sleep. And some, some families, you know, they're making it work, and it's may not be. I you can't see what I'm doing, but like quotation marks, ideal by other standards. But it's really just you and your family, and that's all that matters. If you are thriving together on no sleep, mm-hmm. then then you're thriving. That's like period, end of sentence.
0: Yeah, awesome. Yeah, we love air quotes here. That's <laughs> I forgot
2: that we <laughs> do it all the time. <laughs>
0: Okay, let's dive into sleep training a little bit. And there's a lot of controversy around sleep training. You know, there's very strong opinions on both sides. So what do you personally share with parents when they're knowing they need a change, but they're feeling like on the fence, or they're feeling hesitant about it? Maybe they're doing some self research, like, Give us a little bit of education around sleep training and some of your, you know
2: professional thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, so I think the biggest thing when families reach that point of like i I need to change this, I need some help, looking into methods of sleep training, so it it seems like the cry it out method has become synonymous with sleep training. Like mm-hmm. they're one and the same, but they are not. Cry it out is a method of sleep training that while it is effective, it is very, very difficult for the majority of parents to do. Mm -hmm. So knowing that the options aren't my child wakes up every 30 minutes and we don't get sleep or I leave them to cry alone in, in a room. Like there are so many other methods and strategies in there that you can do that are more gentle. So don't feel like you have to pick one or the other. There are other things that you can do? I, I mean, families that come to me, if you are comfortable with just popping your child in and walking out and not seeing them until morning, like you don't really need me. You don't, you know, you don't need support to, to do that. Is it difficult? Yes. Is it effective? Yes. But you want to be happy with the situation. It doesn't really matter what method you choose as long as it's one that you feel comfortable with and that you know that you can stick with consistently of all of the methods. Like it, it doesn't, again, it doesn't matter which one you choose. It's just, what can I stick with? What feels good to me? What feels comfortable so I can do this? I can make this lasting change. And you don't want to pick something that's just like, Oh, somebody told me to just put them in and let them cry it out and I'll try it, but I don't love it. Cause then it's not going to be successful you're not going to feel great about the experience and you're going to end up kind of worse off. Yeah. You know, you're going to feel like you failed your baby's still not going to be sleeping. And it's just going to kind of like compound on itself. So definitely do your research first, find something that you can read and say, you know what? Yeah. I think I can be really successful with this. Then go forward with it.
0: Yeah. I actually just read a research study. They studied, I, I wish I could remember 26 is coming to mind, but like 26 different, you know, methods of sleep training. And what they found is the method itself did not matter. There were not differences in how effective it was, but that sleep training was highly, highly effective. And I think what you're describing is so important, you know, around all aspects of child development is that parental Mm -hmm. alignment and buy-in is the most critical piece for success. What can you do consistently and what do you feel is important and what's in line with your parenting values? I think the cry it out method I've had friends that have done it and they need to do that because if they don't, it's too distressing for them and ends up creating so much anxiety. And sometimes even for their kid, they've tried other methods and then it just makes their child more upset, you know, versus I talk a lot about, I'm curious on this, like you know, from my perspective as a psychologist, I love teaching with a little bit older kids about like emotionally validating any mm-hmm. emotional expression. And I kind of feel like the method, and I don't know if it has a name, but of where you kind of like go in and pat the baby's back and let them know that you're there and kind of provide that soothing mm-hmm. presence. I feel like that's an early indicator of teaching like emotional validation. Mm Like I see you, I'm here, you are safe. And then at the same time, you're still enforcing those sleep patterns. You're still setting kind of boundaries and, you know, helping to support them in the right manner. But I don't know. What are your thoughts on on that no
2: I definitely agree with that because you know in life we're gonna have tough times and it's not gonna be all roses and things will come up and they will upset us but to know like I have this person here to emotionally support me while I'm working through it is huge so it's really it is setting that foundation of like I'm here to support you but I also have confidence in you that you can you know work this out and here are the tools and I'm giving you support but I'm not doing it for you which is you know a, a huge thing that we want our children to know. I'm I'm here. I'm helping you learn this process, but I'm also not gonna like do all the hard work for you because it's gonna come up again, and I want you to be able to work through it with my support.
1: I think too one of the word like sleep training maybe the reason it has such a poor connotation is because when you think of an eight week old or even a six month old and you think of the word train for some reason it sounds so harsh, but in reality. Is that not what we're doing in every aspect of parenting every day? We eventually at six months, start training them how to eat. You know, we yes. teach, yeah. you know, teaching them how to eat. We say, you know, I can't let you do that when they hit or whatever. So, you know, maybe a lot of the negative connotation comes because we have this, you know, mentality of train, like you have to do it or else, but really we're just kind of coaching our children to thrive and be humans that are healthy. And sleep is a huge part of that. And I think that in every stage, you know, you have zero to six, six to 12, first year, second year, the sleep challenge might look different, but it's still like a big, I mean, even Hudson's over four and it's still a thing.
2: And it will like, when he's a teenager, it will be a different thing, you yeah. know? So it's always going to come up, but I mean, maybe we should start like sleep teaching. Let's get start that. Like <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to change the world right here and just completely get rid of sleep training. And, and you're right. It is, it is teaching. It's mm-hmm. like everything else mm-hmm. in parenting. We teach them not to stick their fingers in an outlet. We teach them mm-hmm. not to, you know, shrink the stuff under the sink it's it, it all is, is yeah. in alignment and it's they just need some help everything is new everything is different they have they kind of don't know what's going on in the world so we just kind of help support them as they grow and as they yeah. learn
0: and, yeah
2: and sleep is one of those things it's not it it feels deeply personal and it feels like something is wrong with me or something is wrong with mm-hmm. them when they're not sleeping because sleep should be quote-unquote natural like everybody sleeps but it's it's not your rhythms some babies are born and they adapt really well to the world and everything goes great and they sleep amazing and they're sleeping the night at three weeks and then there's those babies that just need a little bit more support and the world is it's a lot for them to take in and they every smell is new every sound is new they're just trying to regulate and, and figure out what to do with themselves. So they just need a little bit more support to kind of figure it out and then, then they'll be
0: good. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. You read my mind is mm-hmm. this idea. Cause I'll sometimes hear like, why do I need to sleep train or sleep teach or whatever we want to call mm-hmm. it? Because sleep is natural, right? Like kids will just figure it out. And some kids do just figure it out very naturally. But when babies are born, they have a temperament and temperaments vary widely. That's why you can be like, you can have two kids both from the same parents and you're like, why are they so different? And temperament is coming into that. And yeah, that there are some, you know, more easygoing temperaments. There are some more challenging temperaments. There even are some like, more like anxious prone ten- temperaments at a really, really young age and that impacts sleep. And so mm-hmm. for some, they ultimately aren't able to regulate themselves in the same way. And so we got to teach them the tools and strategies or provide an environment that is optimal for them to fall asleep in. The other thing is in our current day world, there's so much additional stimulation and so many environmental things that are contributing to sleep. So I feel like that's also why we're seeing this rise of sleep training is what maybe used to be a little bit more natural isn't in our current culture. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, there's still, I mean, families having to go back to work super early on. So they feel like they need their babies to be sleeping earlier than they previously may have because they like, You have things to do or there are just so many more distractions where like back in the day, when it got dark out, you went to sleep because you didn't have electricity. There's nothing else to do. Like you just had to close your eyes because it was pitch black. So now we have the ability to like distract ourselves for longer and provide more stimulation. And it's kind of working against what our body might naturally be wanting to do.
0: Yeah. I do want to comment on this real quick. I know this wasn't the purpose of the episode, but I, it's just something that's coming up and like you focus a lot on little kids. But Jen, I know you and I have had a conversation about this is talking about sleep in like elementary age kids or even moving forward. And one of the one of the really common things is that kids are still sleeping in their parents' beds. And some of it is that is cultural, but I will mm-hmm. also say, say that that can potentially, depending on your family unit and all of that, be an indicator of anxiety surrounding sleep, which dramatically affects sleep. And so what we tend to do just naturally is accommodate that because sleep feels so important. And it's like, I'd rather have you sleep. You can sleep in my bed and I am working. I can't obviously say too much for HIPAA reasons, but I have a child I'm working with right now that we're doing exposures around sleep, helping the child transition from mom's bed into their own bed in a really slow, systematic, supportive way. It's not like go back to your own bed and suck it (laughs) up. We're working to address the fear and anxiety. And so even though like the intent of this was to really talk about those early ages, sleep difficulties can exist at later ages and a lot of times I can't say always but I would ask yourself is anxiety part of this picture mm-hmm. there's some sort of reassurance by sleeping in mom's bed dad's bed parents bed grandparents whoever they're sleeping with even siblings beds
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and I think that can be important
2: to look at as well I don't know yeah. Jen, do you have anything yeah even my plans for like four and five-year-olds that's something that I'll address like why if they were previously sleeping well especially why what's coming up for them now we talk a lot about bedtime and what to do like in the moment but my plans also focus a lot on like during the day let's get to the root cause of what's happening and because At night, if they're anxious or scared or whatever it may be, they're not going to be able to tell you like what's going on, why these feelings are coming up, what exactly they're feeling. But to take them out of the moment during the day, it's light, it's bright, we can just kind of like play therapy, figure this out together, then we can adjust whatever we need to do. And sometimes it's as simple as there's something in the corner, like a pile of clothes, and then once the lights go off, it looks really scary. So, you know, just helping them work through that and figuring out the root cause of why they don't want to sleep in their own bed, what's going on makes, makes a big difference. So mm-hmm. yeah, even younger than elementary ages. Totally. Cool. that Yeah. That comes yeah. Up.
0: Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I've had, I had a three-year-old I was working with and yeah. sleep there was lots of anxiety. Yes, three-year-olds can have anxiety and clinically significant anxiety. And so that was contributing to sleep habits. And so that's a time too that I just, I, I wanna say that it is important a lot of times to seek support and have a professional that knows what they're doing, whether it's a sleep consultant or you're working with like a child therapist, that's something that can be addressed in therapy, especially if the anxiety is more extensive. So yes,
2: yeah. There's been one case where I've said, I think, you know, you need some additional support. We're doing really great around bedtime, but there's other things that are still popping up. Um, So I just want to make sure we're not missing anything. I love that.
0: What would you say are some of your best sleep tips for mamas? Like things you hear yourself constantly saying to parents. Yeah. Sleep environment,
2: I think is a huge one. You can do all the sleep teaching that you want. But if you're trying to do it in a room that's, I don't know, 80 degrees and super bright, that's not going to be so helpful. So really looking into their sleep space. Is it dark? Is it quiet? Is it calm? Do they share a wall with the bathroom and the shower, you know, turns on at the same time every morning, things like that. So sometimes it's just like taking a survey of the room or of what's going on around you. There was a family that they lived, you know, those like When it snows, there's those big like places, the lots where the trucks will pull into to like pick up sand. I don't even know the official name for that, but I don't either, but I I know know you're talking that. Yeah. They lived near one of them. So every night at the same time at 3 a.m., a truck would come in and back up. And the parents never noticed it, but the child would always wake up at that same time. And we couldn't, I was like, there's something habitually happening at that time maybe it's your ac kicking on and off but Mm -hmm. she stayed up she set an alarm for 230 and the mom stayed up she's like the truck comes in every night at the same time and I was like that's that's it sometimes we have to like really kind of get creative and figure out what could be going on so then we got like another sound machine put it over there put some extra blackout shades on that window where the truck because it was backing in the headlights would shine in. Mm-hmm. So we thought that we had it all blacked out, but didn't take that into account. So once we fix that, the baby slept through. So it's really sometimes figuring out like, what are these little things that, that could be making a big difference? So setting up the sleep environment, is like, if you do nothing else, that's going to make a big difference.
1: For sure. There's so many things. I mean, between each age, you know, with my smallest, I was nursing him and getting his tongue tie fixed actually helped a lot with sleep, which you wouldn't really associate, but the way he feeds and his fullness and his gas level affects his sleep. And then with my oldest, once we started looking through foods and food dyes, I mean, it helps a little bit, but he's so crazy, you know? So it's so complex. And then, like you said, everyone's environment, everyone's daily schedule is
2: different. Yeah. Even to the food point, if children are having wake-ups, like I call them split nights, if they're waking up for like a period of time in the middle of the night, it could be related to food deficiency, like vitamin deficiency, Mm -hmm. so iron, magnesium, things like that, where my son is like the king of picky eating, so... I focus on, okay, I can't get any other food into you, but like these are the vitamins that we need yeah. to, to get you sleeping. So sometimes it's looking into something that may seem unrelated, like a tongue tie, like, like their diet, but it really does impact sleep.
1: Yeah. And like smoothies on repeat. You can have a smoothie oh, for every meal. Cause I
2: yeah. just shove everything into it. That's, he calls my husband. This is going to sound weird, but my husband is like a amateur arm wrestler. So he's like okay. big into weightlifting and things like that. So we call them like muscle shakes and and they, my boys love to drink their muscle shakes, yes. which is just like milk and like a little powder, you know, like protein powder for four toddlers. A little broccoli went, in there. They never yup. <laughs> and We throw like a little spinach. He, he's, he started to notice like, Oh, what's that? Why is it green? Yes. And we're like, Oh no just part of it you just keep drinking it and he'll drink yep. it but we've had to get really creative because some he won't like pasta sauce is usually something you can like puree mm-hmm. he won't eat pasta he's he's very particular muffins i found are kind of another thing that i can slip some things into yeah. but
1: oh yeah we learn all the tricks you learn
2: oh my goodness i've never like pureed so much i, I not know. even when they were babies i know I'm starting food now i puree A million things all the time, just slip them
1: in. The things we do. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So, as we're closing out here, this is a question that we like to ask everybody that comes on our show. This podcast is all about women being leaders, not just in leadership positions or in a boardroom, but really in their everyday life because we have so much opportunity to do that. So what would your tip be for a high achieving woman out there listening to this show, whether it relates to really being your best self or self-care as a mom, sleep, if you just could give one tip, what would it be?
2: I feel like I should be cliche and and say something about sleep (laughs) but I think I mean I just really think sleep is so important and in a world especially with high achieving moms it's kind of become the norm like I'm glad we're getting away from this but like hustle Mm. you stay up late when your kids are sleeping and you work and you work and you work and then you get in a couple hours three hours of sleep and then you do it all over again and yes it seems like if that's your only time away from them while they're sleeping to really get in what you need to get in but it's it's not going to be super sustainable for long and you really want to be able to rest your body and Mm -hmm. to be able to be your best self you know, during the day. So, as tempting as it is to stay up late and try to get all of those things done, I've had to let go of a lot and say, you know what, those dishes can wait until morning or this extra email, I can't wait to send it because I do want to prioritize my sleep and my rest. So, trying to be more creative with your time so you can just have that block of, you know, eight hours is amazing. As close to that as you can get, but I think that's that's really the key to reaching your goals long-term, whether it be with your family life and your business, personal. I think it's going to be that foundation for it.
1: So true. And we might have to come to the conclusion as busy mamas that it may not be our season for some things. I had to tell myself that in that first year, like it just may not be your season to accomplish this right now because like your body and your health and your well being is the most important thing. So I love that. I love that. Yes. So, much. Yes. okay. So where can our listeners find you and connect with you? And then what services do you offer? You've talked about like a newborn package.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, we
1: want to make sure that our audience knows how you can serve them and where to find you.
2: Yes. Probably Instagram is the, the best at baby. Owen, and I, my oldest son's name is Owen. My poor other two. <laughs> they don't have anything <laughs> them. Exactly. But yes, yeah, so on Instagram or my website, I think that will be linked in the show notes. Yeah. Um, all. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I have packages like newborns up to age four. So we can do one-to-one work. If there's specific things that you want to target, it's typically a two-week process where I'll complete a plan for you. I will hand you over that plan with step-by-step strategies to use. And then I support you through that plan because I don't want to just give you these strategies and say, oh, good luck. Hope they work. Like, I really want to ensure that you are in a way better place when we end than when we started. So just to have that hand holding the ability to ask questions and, you know, just get everything answered, I feel like makes a big difference for some of the other courses that you can buy where it does, you don't have those touch points. Sure. But yeah the definitely hopping onto my website or my Instagram would be the best way to find me.
1: Awesome. And yes, we will link all of that in the show notes for everybody.
2: Thank you both so much yeah, for having me. This is so course. much fun to chat with you. And yeah, I hope everyone, I wish a great night of sleep on everybody. <laughs> I love it.
0: Thank yeah. You. And thank you for just sharing your expertise with us and having such a real conversation to one of the things is we never want parents to walk away from this podcast feeling like they need to be doing it all and doing it perfectly. And I just love the way that you shared that you're there as a resource if parents need it and they're struggling through things and that. There's going to be seasons and there's going to be struggles yeah. and, you know, that that's part of parenthood and navigating all of that. And like you said, and I say this all the time, parents are not given manuals when their kids leave no. the hospital. I don't know why someone hasn't invented that yet for the rest that's of the- they need but- to right right wouldn't that be so nice to ha- I mean like everything else comes with manuals but yeah. you figure it out and you navigate and yeah our goal of this podcast is just to bring you information that if it supports you you know if this is enough awesome but if you are needing more support reach out to Jen she is a wealth of information so thank you so much for thank being you, Jen. here
2: yes thank you
1: Okay, guys, so we realize this message is very niche and unique, not only to mamas and parents with kiddos, but every kiddo is different with sleep. So instead of having a specific messy action related to the content, we're actually just going to say that the messy action here is to ask you to share this episode, whether it be in your DMs, in your text with a specific friend that may need it, or on your profile. Because when you share, you open up the reach to help someone else and encourage them along the way.
0: And I also just want to add, I think the parenting journey can be really lonely, and you often think you're the only one with this problem. And so. I think that this episode just provides some reassurance that you're not doing anything wrong in your parenting and there's different things to navigate with every child. So we would be so grateful. And I know a mama that stumbles across this, whether you share this episode and just screenshot it and post it in your stories, or you can share one of our posts or reels. I know the mama seeing it will appreciate to know that she's not alone. All right. Thank you
1: guys for listening this week and we will see y'all next week. Bye y'all. We really hope you enjoyed today's episode. We love when you share your imperfect but impactful progress with us on social media. We've linked our Instagram
0: leadher.everyday in the show notes so you can tag us. Make sure you don't miss the next episode. Hit subscribe to stay up to date. See you next time.